Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? Have you gotten Rommel yet? Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, uh, March sadness time. Perhaps we should have seen that coming time. I think some people did see it coming time. Maybe others were a bit naive time. Guys, we got to chop it up time. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a gorgeous, gorgeous 70-degree Monday afternoon here in the beautiful, beautiful East Knoxville, mountain town of Knoxville. Coming to you about 2.5 or 2-point-something miles as the crow flies from uh, Neyland Stadium from Thompson Bowling Arena from the University of Tennessee campus. Got a lot to uh, discuss in this podcast. Um, A lot of it not so fun, but um, guys, that's life. It happens. Tennessee bows out of the NCAA tournament in the first game, loses a... uh, what really wasn't even a very good game, to be honest, against Oregon State there up in Indianapolis. Of course, Oregon State goes on and, you know, then beats Oklahoma, uh, or Oklahoma State in the next game. So they're in the Sweet 16, so maybe that make, makes it a little less bad, but still obviously not the season that Tennessee wanted, probably not the season Tennessee should have had. Uh, and to bring in all of that, to, to discuss all of that, let's go down to the Go Vols 24-7 Blunt County Satellite Office Bring in the one, the only Grant Ramey. Grant, what's up, man? You know, I did not see that coming uh, on Friday. I did not see a no-show performance after what looked like progress was made in Nashville and after Rick Barnes had talked so glowingly about what he thought he saw there from his team and from the couple weeks before that. But you know what? We did say a million times on this podcast the last three months this team could go on a run to the Elite Eight or they could get bounced by 10-plus points by a double-digit seed in the first round, and nobody would nobody would really flinch at either one because one of them was kind of what you were expecting, and then one, the other one was kind of what you've been seeing for the last three months is they're inconsistent. They play good basketball at times like they did in Nashville, and then they fall apart at times like they did in Indianapolis. Yeah, Grant, I'll tell you the one thing I really, really did not – see coming. I mean, the loss itself was not completely shocking to me. I, I mean, hand, cards on the table, I thought Tennessee would get to the Sweet 16. I, I still thought they could make that happen because I liked the draw. Of course, I don't think I knew or any of us knew that the Pac-12 would just dominate this tournament and that uh, the Big Ten would go winless, the SEC would go up and down a little bit, and uh, you know the, the Pac-12 would just march on. So it, it, I don't think any of us really Saw that coming necessarily, but um, I'll tell you what I really did not see coming, Grant, was, and this is something I'm kicking myself a little bit for not thinking about, but, you know, we talked about going into this tournament how this moment was something that, you know, brought out the best in some players, brought out the worst in some others, Um, but it's a big, huge stage, right? It's a big deal. Everyone's watching. These guys have been playing to get to this tournament and the NBA their entire lives. That's what they've been working for. So you never know how they're going to handle that stage. And I wondered this year, I think a lot of us did, whether having only a 1,000 or whatever, a couple thousand people in the stands, how much of an impact that would make um, because it's not like these things are sold out in big arenas. So that's different. But, 
you know, without John Fulkerson playing, Tennessee, other than Eve Pons, did not have much experience at all in this tournament. And I did not see it coming that so many of those players would look so terrified in the moment. And, and I, I, I'm not excusing anything because the bottom line is they, they did not play well. But they just looked uh, terrified might be a stretch, Grant, but they looked they looked intimidated to me. It, it looked to me like they they just were not ready for a moment like that. You know, they and, and they looked okay with that in the SEC tournament, but the NCAA tournament is a completely different kettle of fish. And they get to that moment, and did, did they look to you as timid or scared as they did to me? Because they looked scared to make a play. Yeah, they looked like they realized where they were, and they did not react to it the right way. Rick said stage fright, and I think people were kind of asking, how is there stage fright when there's nobody in the arena? And, you know, it's 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 basically the same thing you've been doing all year is playing in front of an empty gym uh, against an opponent. It's a much different, you know, kind of animal altogether when it says March Madness right there on the floor. When, when it changes to the NCAA tournament, mindsets change because all year when you're a team like Tennessee and, and they were never out of the field and had to play their way in, they were always – a team that was uh, in those bracket projections, you always have that lifeline at the end of the season. We're going to be in the NCAA tournament, and you never know what happens. Yeah, uh, and see how it goes. Well, Hell, once we, you get there, we mentioned it a lot too. I mean, we kept saying right. that. You know, there's so much emphasis on getting there, and then once you get there, your mindset has to change to what do we have to do to stay here. And I don't think they, at least the players, the experience-wise, the freshmen, you know, the, the inexperience, the stuff they were missing, I don't think they reacted to that well. I think there was a little bit of a shell shock. And, and credit goes to – a lot of credit goes to Oregon State. Sure, they did sure. a lot to, to beat Tennessee. They're playing as well as any team in that, that that tournament right now. We saw it against Oklahoma State. I thought Tennessee would get by them because I thought they had the, the talent and the personnel to do it. Uh, but Oregon State's a better team right now, a much better team. You saw that on Friday. Um, I don't know what Tennessee would have done if they got to Oklahoma State. I, I didn't know if I'd be predicting a Sweet 16 run. It would depend on, I guess, how many points you're going to give up to Cade Cunningham and, and then go from there. But the good news, I guess, going forward is that that loss was so cut and dry of what you need and what you don't have yeah. and what you got to do better that it really sets forth kind of your direction into the offseason. They didn't have a single forward that made a shot from the field in that game. Eve Ponce had four points. Uro started, didn't get a shot off. Olivier played six minutes, didn't get a shot off. EJ played four minutes, didn't get a shot off. Every field goal made was a guard, and it was Santi, it was um, Jaden Keon, um, but there was such high shot volume for those guys that they needed 12 shots to score 12 points or they needed 16 shots to score 14 points. I mean, you, you're just not going to get by with that kind of lack of inside presence, uh, not shooting well enough uh, to keep pace uh, with a team like Oregon State, which shot the, wall, shot the ball pretty well. So it, it, it lays out exactly what you need going into a really important offseason. You need productive, big-time bigs. Uh, and you need shooters, and right now they don't have either of those. Yeah, and I think I want to spend the the second segment talking a lot about what they need going forward because I think the things you just said are com- they're obvious, but that we need to discuss the reasons why they're obvious, and and we'll we'll keep doing that. But but the fact that Tennessee lost the game did not shock me, surprised me, did not shock me. The fact that Tennessee lost because it you know just could not make a shot is something that we all predicted was going to happen at some point. I thought it might happen a round or two later, but uh, they just they they did not they did not make shots, and that part of it did not surprise me. What did surprise me was the lack of it. It almost seemed like the lack of will to fight back into it. Uh, they kept. It's not that they weren't playing hard. I, I think they were playing hard. I, it's just that they got pushed around a lot by a team that, you know, we said going into this that Oregon State was a team that only had two guys on the roster shorter than six foot five, and those dudes were six foot three. So it's one of the taller teams that you're going to see, um, and a team that that really wants to play inside out, a team that kind of has some old school 
interior players uh, combined with some some pretty solid shooters on the perimeter. They'll want to work you inside, hit you with the body blows, and then start hitting haymakers from from three. And that's they did what they wanted to do. I mean, they they executed their plan. Um, you could even say that Tennessee, in some ways, made Oregon State, you know, at least played them as well as Oklahoma State did at times. So it's not like, um, you know, it was just the worst performance I've ever seen. But the way that – and that's where I wonder – that's where John Fulkerson, I think, was missed. Uh, he was a guy who has played in this tournament, and he he's a guy who – when they are throwing you a lot of body blows inside, you know, Fulky flails around, you know, he looks awkward while he's doing it, but he gives you a presence in the paint and he gives you a little bit of steel there because he'll step up and try to block a shot. He'll step up and try to draw a charge. He's not afraid to get run over. He, he will give you, he'll, he'll do some of those three and four pivot moves and then hit that shot off the glass. He'll do those things. And they desperately needed that in that game. And, and so I don't think – the way the way Oregon State's playing right now, I can't sit here and say that Tennessee wins that game and Fulkerson plays. I don't believe that. Um, it's possible, but I can't sit here and say that. I don't think any of us can. But those were the two huge, huge ways where he would have been useful in this game, I think. Yeah, to a different extent, it, it reminds me of UMBC and Virginia. Oregon State's obviously much better than UMBC. Tennessee's not nearly as good as that Virginia team was that was the number one overall seed in 2018. But both Virginia and Tennessee, these two teams were built on defense. And offense was not going to be their strong suit. They're not going to play fast. They're not going to score a ton of points. But they're going to defend as well as anybody in the country. And they're going to hang their hat on that end of the floor. And when you let a team get out to a 10, 12-point lead early, it can spiral quickly because it's really hard for you to – erase that kind of deficit. You just don't have that kind of firepower. And when you don't have John Fulkerson and when Eve Pons picks up two fouls, basically when he's introduced in the starting lineup before the game, I mean, that's, that's, that's going to be a huge problem. And Tennessee could not stop Roman Silva, the Oregon state big guy that had 12 straight points and was yeah. six for six he, in the first he's half. He's just and, not nearly that good. I mean, I'm sorry. Right. He's playing, he played a great game. I don't want to take anything away from him, Grant, but he is not a fraction as good as Tennessee made him look. Right, and, and, and Ryan Klein's probably not good for 27 every night. But some nights it just happens that way uh, in this tournament. But, I mean, when, when you don't have Fulkerson, when Pons is in foul trouble, you never know what you're going to get from Urosh. You never know what you're going to get from Olivia. You're probably not going to get much for EJ. When they're doing what they're doing in the post and you can't do anything in the post, and when you can't hit a shot to save your life from the three-point line uh, or from anywhere basically in the first half, shooting 25% from the field, it's just going to be a recipe uh, for disaster, and that's what disaster was. I mean, the, the whole first half, in a nutshell, was Santiago Vescovi finally hits a three, the first one Tennessee had made after starting 0 for 9. It comes with 341 left in the first half, and it's the only point scored in a 15-3 Oregon State run that completely changed, didn't change the game but just further <laughs> put the game into yeah. You know, the command of Oregon State because once Tennessee was down 17, 14, 20, whatever – it got to, you just knew it's, it's, it's not going to happen for this team to come back because they don't have the firepower. You know, th- they did show some fight, and, and I think when you lose a game the way they lost that game, you can never sit there and say that one call really changed anything because it was the margin that it was. But Tennessee was finally playing the way it needed to play and finally making Oregon State uncomfortable when Keon Johnson, by all rights, hits an and one. Um, mm-hmm. It's not even continuation. He is very clearly fouled in the act of shooting, and it's called a foul on the floor for reasons that will never make sense. And, of course, since Tennessee in the front end of one-on-one, of course he misses it. So you lose two to three points right there. Then Oregon State comes right down and scores, and that's your ball game. And I wonder, you know, and ones have a way of changing momentum pretty pretty quickly, and they get a team going, and Tennessee was had finally gotten the Beavers kind of on their heels. And there was enough time left that, you know, they maybe could have made a push there if that had gone the that right way. But if you are playing a game where the only chance you have is you have to get every break down the stretch, you've probably not – you're either playing an outstanding team, uh, which Oregon State's a good team but not an outstanding team. So you're either playing an outstanding team or you're not playing well enough to win. And, and, and that's, that's, that's frustrating 
and I'll tell you, Grant, you know, we, we, we talked about this a lot throughout the, the year at times. And we saw later in the year that Tennessee was starting to play faster, right? Tennessee recognized that the post presence without Fulkerson, when he wasn't going to do his thing, they had to play a different way. And so they started playing a little faster. They started going through the guards. But at the end of the day, this is what, this is what bothers me about what Barnes did this year. I, I, I don't think – some of these guys I think – should be or could be better shooters than they are. And, you know, the fact that they would all go cold at the same time, that's just uh, – that's not that's bad luck a little bit. I'm not going to totally pin that on Barnes. But what I will pin on Barnes is that what this team came down to at the end of the year was a team that was completely guard dominant and it could not shoot consistently from the perimeter and it did not really want to play fast. And when you when you make that kind of a team, I think you have to sit there and look at the mirror and say, uh, where did this go wrong? Because this should never have been the plan. Um, because you can if you have a guard heavy team, and it does not want to shoot threes consistently well, and you have to prod it with a like one of those Rucker Farm cattle prods to get them going, to make them play fast. What kind of a team are you at that point? You know, that, that, that's not a team built to win. And then, on top of that, Olivier Comois, I'm not saying he was would have been a huge difference maker, but there were so many times during the season to get him minutes and get him ready because he is clearly, clearly the most talented physically among that group of forwards who don't play a lot. And he did it at times, and there was always such a short leash on him. And when Fulkerson couldn't go – it really would have been nice if you had let him play in some second halves of games where, you know, he may have helped. And even if he, even if he hurt, you may not have been a five seed. You may have been a six, seven, eight, or nine seed, but you were still going to be in the tournament, and you would have been a better team. And, and those two things, am I, am I off there? Is there something you want to add to that? I mean, because that, that to me seems like the two things that just went horribly wrong this season. Yeah, I mean, it's just seemed like there's really good pieces to this puzzle, and it just never fit together. The first half of the season, when when Fulky looked kind of like the Fulky from last year, when you knew you're going to get ten and five from him, ten and six, whatever, uh, night in and night out, they looked like a pretty good basketball team because they played inside out, um, and whoever would kind of step in and, and chip in from the guards, VJ Bailey, Santi, uh, Keon, Jaden, whoever it was, night in and night out, somebody would help enough. Ponds, you kind of knew what you're getting from him playing inside out. So they kind of established that through the first 11 games. And then when Fulke kind of fell off uh, mid-January, I guess, or mid to late January, uh, around the time they went to Florida, um, after that, it just felt like nobody knew their role or no, nobody knew how to fit all these puzzle pieces together because they were just never the same team after that. I mean, some of the best basketball they played, you talked about pushing the ball and, and that wasn't really something they just consistently did the best basketball they played probably was the second half at Rupp uh, when they pushed it nonstop and they scored in transition nonstop and, and Jaden and Keon couldn't miss because all they were shooting were layups and dunks basically I mean you never really saw that moving forward at a consistent rate you never really saw anything moving forward at a consistent rate because they couldn't establish anything it felt like they were so lost after that inside presence disappeared they didn't know who, who needed to score when, who needed to be the, the, the guy that takes over when. I mean, the fact that this team was 18-0 when they led with five minutes left and 0-9 when they trailed with five minutes left, that just screams at me a team that doesn't have that person that's going to take over when you really have to take over, force the issue when you really have to force the issue. And, and, ha- and have a point guard. And have a point. And without it, it just felt like those pieces never really fit together. Yeah, there was one thing before we go to break here that that I'll mention before we go on to the second segment and talk about what they're going to do moving forward. But maybe frustrating is the right word. I'm I'm not sure. Disappointing, certainly. That that going into the game, you know, most coaches and players, they won't, like, give you the game plan that they're going to say going into a game. But they'll give you hints if you're paying attention. And one thing consistently, every time Wayne Tinkle spoke – Oregon State's coach, and every time Oregon State players spoke before this game, the one thing they uniformly said, we cannot let this team run. It will be bad for us 
we have got to, you know, obviously you got to make shots, got to play tough, but, but we cannot turn the ball over live ball. We cannot let them get out and run. We have to get back. They are a very athletic team. We can't have this be a full-court game. If you are Rick Barnes and if you are a Tennessee player and if you see, read, hear any of that, that should be ringing every alarm bell in your head saying, run. Don't ever do what your opponent wants you to do. You always do what your opponent does not want you to do. Your opponent wants you to slow it down. Your opponent wants you to sit there and take three-pointers because they know, hey, if you're going to make them, you know, they're going to lose the game. But a lot of times they don't make them, and you can't let them run. Don't let them get confident. Don't let them get going, especially with no Fulkerson. They're going to be smaller a lot of times. Do not let them get out and run. And Tennessee never got that message. It never consistently attacked the rim. You know what? Silva's going to block a shot or two. He can't jump at all, but he's seven foot one. He's going to block some stuff, man. You know, Alatisha, uh, that guy has got really long arms. He's athletic. He's going to block a shot or two. But get out and run. Go to the rim. Make them uncomfortable. And it just seems like Oregon State, Tennessee fell right into playing the way Oregon State wanted them to play. And the only place I know to go when something like that is happening is to coaching because when one team is doing what it wants and the other team is not doing anything that it wants, um, that's not usually a talent thing. That's either the message was not right or it was not received correctly because, and Josiah Jordan James said it, he said, we didn't do any of the things that we practiced to do. Well, why? That, did they freeze in the moment? And when they do freeze in the moment, did the coaching staff freeze with them? Or did the coaching staff stay alert and get them back into the game by calling a couple of plays that might get them going? Or tell them, guys, listen, we're not running. Get out and run. You're faster than them. You see those guys out there? They can't run like you can run. Run by them. The second you hunker down, they sit there and they pack it in with that length, and they're a problem. I just, there were just, I don't know what the plan was because we never got to see it, but they clearly didn't execute whatever the plan was if they had a plan because a lot of the times on offense, Grant, it looks like they did not have a plan, and it was not the first time this season. Yeah, I mean, it's it's coaching, and it's it's execution on the floor. I mean, when you play as poorly as they play, it's a little bit of everything. Sure, so, sure. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's a continuation of what we've seen for the last three months. And it's the reason we've said over and over this team could put it all together and play really good basketball in March. Like we saw against Florida and for 25, 30 minutes against Alabama, or they could fall apart like they did in the second half against Alabama or fall apart. Like they did for 40 minutes against Oregon state and get bounced and, and never really even be competitive uh, in, in the NCAA tournament. And it's, it's a shame because you have two five-star freshmen that, you know, extremely highly anticipated season uh, hoping you can build on kind of get back to where Tennessee was a couple years ago um, w- when they had Grant and Admiral and you know all those guys Lamonte Jordan Bone and had so much success but uh, it, it kind of it was a crazy year from start to finish uh, it was an underwhelming year from start to finish and, and it just kind of it went out with a whimper for sure before we go to break I'll quote uh uh, let's see who who will I quote here. I'm I'm going to go with William Goldman, the uh, the the old British screenwriter novelist a novelist who said life is pain, sir. Anyone who tells you differently is selling something. So yeah, life is pain. Pain is life. Been that kind of year for Tennessee so far. So uh, you know what? Before we talk about um, where they're going forward, we, we got to talk about what happened and why it happened. So we've gotten that out of the way. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to go to break, come back, talk about. Where do they go from here? Um, because obviously some guys are going to be going. Maybe a couple of guys will be staying. We'll see. Um, but there could be a lot, a lot of new faces in this program next season. So uh, definitely will be some new faces and, and maybe quite a bit. So we'll step away, pay some bills, uh, listen to some products, services, in-house ads, other fun things, and we will be back in just one second here on the Govals 24-7 podcast. Hashtag ad. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio on a beautiful, beautiful Monday afternoon here in God's own Knoxville, Tennessee. Grant Ramey coming to you from also beautiful Maryville down there at the Go Vols 24-7 Blount County Satellite Office. It's a little bit closer uh, to those mountains that I can see from my uh, see from my, my window here, but uh, Grant probably has a better view of. And Grant is also uh, waving. Is that That's Dory, right? No, that's Nemo. <laughs> Oh, Dory's the blue one. That's Nemo, who, who that Grant Ramey, uh, Grant Ramey is waving here in the background. And I got to You got to give him some context. I'm recording this in my son's room. I just wanted to throw some toys in here to. That's true. And what you don't what you don't know is his, is his son's 24 years old. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> guys. Okay, keep going. I'm sorry. We got a lot to uh, discuss here. Uh, before we do that, though, a couple quick things. Uh, please take a minute out of your day right now and please rate and review this podcast. Please hit the subscribe button. Uh, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere in the world you can cast a fine pod, you can find the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We do this for free. We're happy to do it. Uh, but the one thing we would really, really, really appreciate uh, is if you could hit the subscribe button and if you could rate and review. That helps us. Uh, the reason why we say it every episode is, frankly, it helps us a lot. There's nothing you can do more to help us than that. Please tell your friends, your family, uh, even if you have an arch nemesis who happens to be a Tennessee fan, um, go ahead and let them know too. Uh, anyone who uh, who you know in your life uh, who, who might appreciate this, give them a heads up about it. And rate and review so you can let complete strangers know about this podcast as well. It really helps us in the algorithms. A couple of quick notes uh, that are non-basketball related. First off, football, football, football. Tennessee football uh, did get back going Monday after after taking a, a quick pause for some some COVID issues. Uh, looks like Josh Heupel and his crew will get started with spring practice on Thursday. So uh, we'll be speaking with a couple of people uh, hopefully here in a, in a day or two uh, before that gets going, uh, and then we'll we'll have a lot of spring football to discuss um, for the next couple of weeks. And then obviously the off season, a lot of football stuff. Although I think there's going to be some basketball news too, just if I'm being honest with you, I think there's going to be some, some basketball news coming up in the next few weeks as well. Um, but there's that. And, and then a quick shout out for Tennessee baseball, which is, uh, moved up from number 10 to number nine nationally, uh, over uh, on Monday after going three and one last week, uh, winning uh, a series at Georgia should have been a sweep, uh, but they kind of coughed one up on Saturday Got it back on Sunday. Blade Tidwell, the freshman from Loretto, Tennessee. Shout out Loretto. Uh, he dominated on the mound. He's a really touted prospect, uh, freshman righty who can go up to like upper 90s on that fastball. He's going to be a, a very wealthy young man here in a few years. Uh, but he's a freshman at Tennessee, so he's got you've got him for a couple more years if he stays healthy. Uh, he was dominant, 7.1, uh, seven and a third innings, four hits, one run, six strikeouts. Uh, and he was named SEC Freshman of the Week. So Tennessee baseball in the past week has gone from number 10 to number 9 nationally, got its first walk-off home run win since 2010, and then got the first, got an SEC Freshman of the Year award for the first time since 2009. So uh, a lot of a lot of good things happening with Tennessee baseball, uh, and we're going to be talking more about them in the coming weeks because hey guys, they look like they're they look like they're pretty good. They uh, they host Eastern Kentucky on Tuesday, and then they host 15th ranked LSU for three games uh, in Knoxville over the weekend. So big big week coming up for them. Grant, back to basketball. We know some of the reasons why this Tennessee season went the way that it did. I don't know if we'll know all of them yet. I don't know if we'll ever know all of them, to be honest. 
But we know what turned out um, was not good. When, when you're ranked six nationally uh, and then you, you know, go eight and eight in your final 16 games and you go out in the first round of the tournament, you're clearly not covering yourself in glory. You're not doing anything for the people who use the, the nickname regular season Rick. Uh, after another early NCAA tournament exit, you're not doing anything for the people who complained about him being the third highest paid coach in college basketball. Uh, this season did not do anything to dissuade any of those people from being negative. And, and, and the past two years, frankly, uh, since Barnes flirted with UCLA, got the new deal at Tennessee, they have objectively been not good. Um, last season, we'll never know what would have happened, but you know things were not great. They were just meh. And then this season, things looked, man, really, really good. Looked like they're right back again. Now they're not. So this is very, very clearly a huge offseason for Tennessee. Uh, we know Rick Barnes does not like to lose. Both of us know him. Grant, I think you know him a little better than I do, but I know him also. And he does not like losing. He is not a patient man. This will hurt him deeply. He will be very, very upset about this. Uh, for people who talk about the golden parachute thing, and uh, no. Whether the results are good or not, that man's work ethic is ridiculous. Uh, the way that he focuses on things, the way that he just becomes obsessed with things, um, he will not be sitting here happily. Uh, he, he will not be content. I mean, he might put on a smile when he goes out there for, for lunch over there to Linton's to get a hot dog or, or whatever, a Thunder Road burger, but, but he's not, he's not going to be happy. And he's not a patient guy. And you look at now, Grant, the way that this portal system works, right, um, we've got kind of free agency every year in college sports now. That's, the, that's the, the, the realm in which we're living. You combine that with a coach who's also not very patient and really, really impatient and did not have the year he wanted, you put those things together, that to me seems like a lot of turnovers coming in this offseason. I don't know how much exactly. Maybe you got a better idea than I do, but uh, I think it's, it's not going to be what people think, which is just, okay – Springer and Johnson are gone to the NBA and Eve Pons is gone to try to see if he can turn pro either here or overseas. Uh, and we'll see about Fulkerson. I think it could be a lot more than that, right? It could. And I think it's transfers are going to be a thing across college basketball with the one-time transfer thing going on because of the COVID year with the extra year of eligibility uh, because of COVID, because of all this stuff they're going to have uh, a huge number. The numbers have been huge. They grow every year, but I think it could be exponentially bigger uh, form of free agency across college basketball. Uh, and Tennessee is a very interesting uh, study in that because they don't have productive big men right now. And they got to get productive big men right now. Uh, plural, probably more than one on the transfer market. If you can get one uh, Walker Kessler, the five-star former five-star prospect announced Monday morning that he's transferring from North Carolina. I think that was a pretty stunning decision uh, from people kind of that follow that program a little yeah. bit closely because of how much upside he has. And uh, Tennessee is one of the teams that recruited him the hardest. I don't think they made his top six. Maybe they have a better chance. Uh, I think they will have interest in him. I mean, they got to go after guys like that that can step in and can help you immediately. You got to figure out EJ Anasicki. Is he coming back? They've talked publicly about a couple months ago about him coming back. Rick wanted him back. He wanted to come back. See what happens there. John Fulkerson, the emotion he had on senior day, does that mean he's done or would he consider coming back? Because of the way uh, things ended too, I wonder. Right, right. Because, of yeah, a lot changed between senior day uh, and the NCAA tournament loss. So, I mean, you got to figure out stuff like that. Olivier, Urosh, uh, you know, Drew Pember, Devontae Gaines, these guys, you had no depth this year and those guys couldn't help you. What's their status moving forward? Do they look around? I mean, you got to get better. and they got to find somewhere that they can contribute, whether it's here or elsewhere. So there's a lot of names on this roster to watch and try to figure out uh, what's going on. Not only do you need big men, you need shooters, too. If you're going to score at all three levels and have that mid-range game and, and be a successful team from three that can stretch defenses to the three-point line, you've got to have a Lamonte Turner and a, a Jordan Bone and a Jordan Bowden, those type of guys that will make a defense respect them. They haven't had that. Uh, this past season consistently so you got to have that and and you know another kind of off season uh i don't know something to check off is whose team is this i mean i, I think lamonte turner might be one of the most underappreciated players in tennessee program history this is me patting myself was, on the back for screaming that for three years by the way not only see. was he good but he was going to fight anybody that got in his way 
that tried to take over that team because that was his team. He's going to fight the opposing team. He's going to fight his teammates if he had to because he saw, had that saw, kind of. I saw him fight three dudes who were at least six foot eight at the same time. Once. Right. I mean that, that that's what they 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 were missing that so much from the time he got hurt. Uh, in the middle of last year, all through this season, they've just been missing that that guy. So there there could be a ton of turnover. Um, there could be just a little bit of turnover, but impact turnover, whatever it is, they got to get productive big men and they got to get shooters. Uh, there, there's interest in Justin Powell, the Auburn yeah. guard that that transferred. He has good numbers, six six guard. I think he averaged eleven and six or something like that when mm-hmm. he had some injuries that got in the way at Auburn. Would Tennessee, I think there is interest there, but can you get him and can you get a waiver for immediate eligibility since it is a uh, move within the, it would be a move within the SEC. Um, see what happens there. I mean, they got to try to get Brandon Huntley Hatfield, uh, a commitment from him and hope he reclassifies into 2021. So there's a ton of options on the table. It's just a matter of which direction they go and how quickly uh, can they overhaul this roster or fix what they need fixing because too often in the past they've finished second on these big name forwards or third or whatever and just haven't been able to land them uh now you got to start landing some of these guys because you got a lot of changes you got a lot of a lot of stuff to fix and i'll say this too I mean, we've mentioned this before but this is something that as as gus makes his appearance on the podcast as per usual in the background uh the one thing that that we've mentioned this before for sure but i think we we should probably mention it again, is that barnes is really good about at the end of every season sitting down with players and having what can be a painfully, awkwardly honest conversation about where things are. And there are some things that that he'll put off to the end of the year a little bit, but then he'll sit down with you and he will tell you, hey, man, it wasn't the year that you wanted, but we know you work hard, we believe in you, and we're going we're gonna to make you better this offseason. We're going to kick your butt, but you're going to get better. And I'm telling you, good days are coming for you. Or he might say, um, this is not working. Y- you just don't work the way that we want guys to work. We'll never say anything publicly, but I think it would be better for you to look. I'm not kicking you off the team, but I think it would be in your best interest to look around. I will say positive things about you publicly and to other coaches, but we need to we need to we need to 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 make this happen. Or he'll tell guys, listen, man, I don't know what your future is. I can't guarantee you anything. I know that you work hard, but you're not picking up what we want. Um, we're trying to play this style of basketball, and you just have not developed in the way we wanted you to. So this is up to you, man. Do you want to come back, or or what's your? You know, he will be that. He will be very specific in these conversations, and some of them will be putting the ball in the guy's court and saying, "I don't know if this is going to work." Uh, and, and so people may not like that, but when you pay a guy like Rick Barnes to be the third or whatever highest paid coach in college basketball. You expect results, and if you don't get them, then he's in hot water. And so there's pressure on him to build these guys and build this team, and he's pretty honest with them. And if, if he doesn't think they fit, like look at DJ Burns, right? I mean, just very clearly. And he's, he did some good things at Winthrop, helped them get to the tournament. Um, but personality-wise, just did not fit in with what Tennessee wants. And I don't know if that's going to be the case with any of the guys on the current team. I don't know if any of them are just horrible personality fits. You know, like the way that a Kent was or a Burns was. I think most of these guys fit into the culture, but they're not the kind of player Tennessee wants or needs right now. And so the way this is going, there are places they can go, good places, and play basketball and be more consistent. But I don't know how flexible Barnes is in the way he wants to play the game. I don't think that's a great thing, Grant, but I think it's – what you've said this before, what like uh like the the Seinfeld putting the car in reverse and not looking anymore, just just going. <laughs> that that's Rick Barnes, right? I mean, that's that's his style. He's like, this is my basketball. You are going to play it, and you are a square peg in a round hole, and I'm not I'm not moving. You're moving. I'm not moving. And I think that's a little archaic, but that's the way he is, and he's got to get players who fit that. When you when you put the car in reverse, you're not looking out for people that are looking out for you. Once you get to a certain age, yeah. you just you do. I'm coming out, folks, and that's it. Mm-hmm. You 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 back the car out of the driveway. If you're driving or walking or on a bicycle, um, you you need to have a heads up. Yeah, let the chips fall where they. I mean, I don't think. I think he doesn't want to waste anybody's time. I think that's a that's that's a bigger insult than anything. Is if you don't have a future here, if you're not gonna produce at any point down the line, go find somewhere to produce and, and make a name for yourself. 
uh, and try to – everybody wants to keep playing basketball beyond college. All these college players, they want to make a living playing the game. Uh, give them a chance to go find that level or that team or that program where they can succeed uh, and, you know, pay that forward to their future. I mean, sitting here today, I'm no more confident in Drew Pember than I was a year ago because we never saw it. Devontae Gaines, we never saw him except for a few situational uh, moments. Euros, we never saw him until Nashville or Olivier. When we did see him, the leash was so short that he makes one mistake and he's gone. I mean, in the NCAA tournament. We didn't get to see practice this year either, which we normally do. Right. And, I mean, so if those guys aren't in your plans, you don't see them, you don't think they're progressing towards a place where you think they can help you, then don't waste their time and don't waste your time. Um, that's You don't want to process people. You don't want to be known for that. You don't want to be known for running kids off. But at the same time, there's only so much eligibility for these kids. There's a clock that's ticking consistently, constantly throughout their college careers. And once it's up, it's up. So you want to go find somewhere where you can play. And I don't know how many guys that applies to on this current roster. I don't know sitting here six months from now, how many looking back that, you know, these conversations lead to changes or whatever. Um, But right now they're in a spot where they had like a six, seven man rotation at best. And the other guys we never heard from. and, And you have to wonder, what those conversations are like at the end of the year. Are they progressing towards somewhere that you think they can help you? Uh, or do you think it's just not working? Well, here's what, here's what we know, right? We know that Kennedy Chandler is coming in and we know that Josiah Jordan James is going to be a prominent part of the team. Like, you know, we know those two things, right? Uh, and if Kennedy Chandler is half the player that we think he is, and I'm not going to speak for you, Grant, but I think he's really damn good. Uh, I mean, I you know, if he's half the player that I think he is and probably half the player that you think he is, then Tennessee finally has a point guard, uh, like a real point guard, a guy who can control tempo, a guy who can move up and down the court. Now, will he pick up on things? How will his personality and Barnes mesh? Because those two better be joined at the hip, and if they're not, they need to get there um, because, you know, I don't think he – you know, Rick Barnes usually puts his point guards kind of through the crucible and uh, a gauntlet, and I don't know if he can afford to do that once the season starts with Chandler. Do it in the offseason, that's fine, but um, you, you need to be on the same page with that guy and because uh, he gives you an ability uh, to do some things that you weren't able to do this year, and, and that, that will help a lot. Um, but we, we know for sure that if Tennessee is not going to change the way it plays, then it's going to have to get, um, you know, kind of a real point guard, I think. I think it's going to have to get some shooters. And it's going to have to get some big men who will give you a presence down low. I'm watching these games. And the only, like, four hours or so that I haven't watched this tournament so far, I mean, I'm the R, but I listened to games then. And I watched Justice League, the new one, Zack Snyder's, which is, like, freaking four hours long. But other than that, I've been watching basketball for the past several days. There are so many guys in this tournament, front court players, who are not remotely as athletic as Tennessee's guys. Like, you watch them run and jump. They are not that athletic. But they will sit there and they'll bump you. They will use five or six, you know, they'll, they'll pivot around like five or six different times and shot fake you, and they'll get the ball inside. They'll, they'll box you out and get a rebound. They'll, they give you a presence. Like, Gonzaga's got a couple of these guys. They're not that athletic. You know, look at uh, Krutwig, who looks like Rod Farva for Loyola Chicago. I mean, that guy is kind of a unicorn because he's just so awkward but so talented at the same time. It's hard to process. I mean, he's just an ultimate college player. But these guys exist. And, and so Tennessee has got to either go find those guys or they need to develop them. I don't know what they're doing with the big men, but they've either misidentified or just failed to develop. So somewhere in either the development process or the evaluation process has gone wrong because they've got more athletes than a lot of these teams. Like Urosh is an athletic kid. He is. At seven foot one, he is athletic. Uh, Olivier Cumont, incredibly athletic at six foot eight, whatever he is. You know, they've, they've got these guys. Pember, I think, can move. I don't think he's he needs to get a lot bigger, but, you know, he can shoot. He can do some things. They've got some guys. They've not developed them. Corey Walker, who knows? 
if he, you know, will he stay? If he does stay, how good will he be? Um, is that just a bad, is there something that's not fitting there? Like with Burns, I, I don't know, but that's a top 100 prospect basically or, or so. I mean, you, you know, something has gone wrong there. And I think if this is a deal where they lose an assistant this offseason, which is very possible, you know, they've got a lot of guys. Everybody knows English at some point is going to be a head coach. Um, Desmond Oliver's had looks before. Michael Schwartz it could be a head coach at some point. I mean, I think he's a really good basketball coach. These guys are going to get offers, and eventually they're going to leave. If one of them leaves this offseason, go get a guy who you know can develop big men because that is a – or help you identify them because that, to me, is a glaring hole in this program right now. I mean, go get a – if you have an assistant coaching opening on your staff, go get a forward. Go get a guy who was a big. Yep. They, how, when was the last time they had a big on this staff? I mean, it's um, that's that's just it, one part it, it, of it. Be the guy who's the coach at you know Ogden would have been the last one, right? When Rick talks about, he talked about Friday after the game, they didn't have an inside presence. Well, that's because you don't have an inside presence on this. Right, you built this roster. You it was either a misidentifying, like you talked about, process in the paint, or a failure to development, like you talked about. But I mean, it goes back to DJ Burns. Derek Walker, I mean, these guys that they brought in, those two didn't work out. They transferred, so what, that happens. But then you bring in Urush Vlasic two years ago. You bring in EJ Anasicki uh, last spring, and those guys haven't been guys that can help you. And I think that's uh, – I don't know if that's uh, – that feels more like misidentifying than development because it just hasn't worked yet. Can it work? Maybe. I don't know. It, it depends. Maybe if you have a more normal offseason, you can kind of get back to – you know, Admiral Schofield through the first year and a half in this program was not a very good basketball player, couldn't get off the bench, couldn't stay on the floor very long. And then suddenly the, the you know, the bulb kind of went on and, and over a couple off seasons, he became a really, really good shooter and turned himself into an NBA draft pick and, and kind of the player he is now. So there, there's been developed there in, development there in the past. Surely they can do that again. But right now it looks like it's just a process where they've, misidentified these guys they've brought in it hasn't worked out uh, and it it kind of led to your relying on a John Fulkerson who's <laughs> been through the injury ringer the last four years he's already a skinny kid uh, who doesn't have a lot of meat on him and, and his health I don't know how well it held up uh, before everything that happened in Nashville and once that went away Eve Ponds is uh, he's a good basketball player but he's not really consistent you never really know what you're going to get from him night in and night out could be great could be a no-show and then outside of that you had nothing so if you can develop these guys and they're part of your program, that's great. Um, but if they're not, you got to figure that out and, and bring somebody in that can help you. Just to reset, we know what they're bringing in, right? We know right, as of now they're bringing in either the best or second best point guard prospect in the country. There's some disagreement on whether Tennessee or Bama is getting the number one point guard. But the fact is those are the two studs and, and each of them is getting one of them. So they're getting a really good point guard in Kenny Chandler. And then they're getting another good athletic wing in uh, Jemai Meshack, who is a guy who from California who can really run, can really jump. He's working on his uh, jump shot. He has a tremendous attitude. He's a tremendously hard worker, really, really gifted kid, uh, seems to have a ton of personality about him. So he'll fit in with their culture. Um, but, you know, can he develop into a shooter? Can he, you know, can, can he plug what they don't have? Uh, or is he going to be another kind of Keon Johnson type who sometimes he'll shoot well, sometimes he won't, but he can attack the glass and play some defense. And, you know, I mean, that, that it's not like you would turn that guy down. You'd love to have that guy. But, you know, I, I didn't see a true knockdown shooter on that list, and I did not see a single big man on that list. And those are the two areas. You could argue point guards in that top three. But, you know, because we don't – who knows what's going to happen with Vescovi. To give the guy credit, I think he was banged up all year, just like Josiah was his freshman year. I think that hit pointer was pretty bad, and I think it made him uncomfortable throughout the year, and I think it affected his play. But still, you know who he is. Even if he's healthier, there are some things that he does well and things he doesn't do well. So you're not identifying – you're not filling holes with those guys um, in terms of a big guy and a knockdown shooter, which, which they need. And so you're going to have to go get those guys. Personally, I think the shooter should not be hard to find. You can probably go up and down that portal, and you can find guys, and they might be some mid-major guys. But how many of these guys do we see on these other teams that, you know, Oregon State had that guy? 
who just stand out there and, and you know he would shoot um there are a couple other really good teams teams that are um you know west virginia has one uh, I, I mean mm-hmm. they have these guys who are kind of you know they're six three six four guards who they work hard but they're not the most athletic but their job is to sit there in the corner like nba guards do and they sit in the corner and guys drive and if somebody helps off of them you kick it out to them and he hits a three it's not hard to do those guys are out there and you can find some in the portal you can find a shooter finding the right big man in the portal that's that's different because if those guys are really really good they're probably not leaving because they're starting and playing 30 minutes at a really good program because if they're doing that then they're they're probably staying where they are Um, so you're looking at guys that either have coaching changes or guys who did not fit where they were uh, or guys who just you know did were playing behind somebody else that that's who you're getting with the big men Um, but you know if you can pull something like Kessler I mean Carolina didn't start him a lot didn't play him a lot I mean he'd score 18 points in a game and then they wouldn't play him but eight minutes the next game, clearly something's weird there. But the way Carolina play and the way Tennessee play aren't too different. So, you know, right. that wouldn't be terrible. But, but th- those guys, they've, they've got to be out there. There's going to be a huge line for Walker Kessler because that's what people – that's how schools view his upside. He's a really good player. They still think he's a really good player regardless of whatever was going on at Carolina. I think Kennedy Chandler is one of the biggest pieces to this because mm-hmm. they've been missing that point guard since uh, Jordan Bone. Lamonte Turner showed a little bit before he got hurt last year that, that he could be that guy, but they've missed that guy that, that runs everything on the floor since Jordan bone was running it on the floor uh, in the sweet 16 against Purdue. Uh, so unlocking that will be a huge piece of it, but you're right. Jemai Meshack, he's developing his offensive game. We've heard that a lot before with uh, Rick Barnes prospects. He's a good defender. He's athletic, like you said, but he's not that guy that's going to come in and spot up and shoot 44% or whatever from the three point line some crazy numbers. So you're going to have to compliment those guys. You know, it's going to be great to have Kennedy Chandler, one of the best point guards in the country running your offense. But if you don't have the right pieces around him, it, it could be a repeat of 2021 where it just didn't fit that you had talented pieces on the floor, but it didn't work together. So you're going to have to find those guys, that big man that can operate with a point guard like Kennedy Chandler. If you have him on roster, great develop that and go. If you don't, which I don't think they do, you better go find somebody uh, or m- multiple bigs that can come in and produce and, and help you right away because they haven't had that uh, consistently since Grant Williams and since Admiral Schofield. And I think uh, Josiah's got to be that guy that takes over the team. Um, we've talked about him being the face of this <laughs> operation for a while now. He's got to be the guy that's uh, – we, we need a junkyard version of Josiah where he's taking over and barking at people. Um, I think that would go a long ways towards fitting that. But yeah, the shooter. He, he said you know, he said bigs, he said the right things after the game about that. Right, he did. I agree. The bigs are one A. The shooters are one B. Uh, you've already got your point guard uh, to come in and and run this, and, and you hope you can develop everything else that you need. Those guys are out there for sure. I agree with you, or are going going to be out there. It's a matter of you have to go out there and get them, and you can't finish second or third for these guys. You got to win some of these battles. Well, because if you don't, and this is the very last thing I'll say, is that if you um, if you take if you put Chandler on the ball for thirty minutes a game, if he's able to do that uh, from the beginning, then that does allow you to take the ball handling responsibility away from Vescovi and Bailey, and maybe mm-hmm. that allows them to just kind of sit there and be the sniper that they want to be, and they don't have as many responsibilities. They just have to sit there and shoot maybe that brings the best out of those two coming off the ball. So maybe you gain something, you know, maybe there's like a, you know, what would you call it? A fringe benefit of bringing in a real point guard is that you could let your combo guards just go be two guards like they are. That doesn't help you defensively because Bailey and Vescovi have just, Bailey in particular has just got to get better in that area in the off season. He just has to, he has to, he's way too athletic to be that bad defensively. He's, he's got to fix that. Um, but he's also got to do that while becoming the shooter he's supposed to be. So he, this is a big offseason for him. He, he comes from a really good family. He's a really hard worker. I think he's – I'm not giving up on a kid like that at all. I think he's got time. You know, he, hang with him. I think you could see a better future for him uh, if, if he can get through that Barnes gauntlet. Um, but, you know, it, it, they still need to bring in those guys. And so it's going to be a lot to follow because I think this is going to be a really – really newsy offseason for Tennessee. You're going to have a couple of kids going to the draft, obviously. 
Uh, you're going to see what happens with Pons, what happens with Fulkerson. Uh, you're probably going to see some players leaving uh, that you maybe didn't expect. Uh, you're going to see them try to add guys from the portal, maybe even try to challenge the SEC on getting conference to, con you know, same conference transfer rules. I, I think, Grant, this is going to be a really, really interesting, newsy, busy offseason for Tennessee, especially starting in the next month, really. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long two years uh, since since the 2019 tournament and since the success they had over those back-to-back -back seasons. And, and they've had a lot of recruiting success since then. Uh, and they've had some, you know, this team obviously was very highly anticipated and had very lofty expectations. Uh, and when you don't reach those, you got to figure out why you didn't reach those and figure out how you do get back to being a team that's uh, as good as that 18-19 or 17-18 team that, that's playing uh, above its weight class, really, uh, and you got to figure out what pieces you got to get to make that happen. Um, it's going to be a busy offseason, I think, for a lot of people uh, across college basketball because of all the stuff we talked about early on in this podcast the free year of eligibility, the one time transfers, all that stuff going on with COVID. Uh, and maybe if you get back to having a full normal summer or something that kind of looks like that, obviously, it was very different uh, last spring and summer than what they're used to. Maybe that helps them kind of get back to normal in terms of how they try to develop their players. Uh, but they got a lot of questions to answer, uh, and, it, and it starts now. And who knows uh, when those questions get answered. I think that's a good place to leave, unless you got anything else. I got nothing. I figured you didn't, but I thought I'd ask you. Thanks thanks for joining us, Grant. Appreciate it, man. Go ahead and rudely uh, leave and make, make sure the beat plays when you do it. Oh, he didn't do it. There he is. There he is. He always does that. Guys, thanks for listening. Really, we appreciate it. We always do. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. Uh, if you want Just Tennessee news, nothing else, get that at twitter.com slash govols247. You can also go to Facebook at facebook.com slash govols247 and get lots of information there. But if you want the best, most delicious East Tennessee Mountain Spring Water, just just right from the tap. Go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets to get coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, uh, Tennessee baseball. We discussed them, and we're going to discuss them more in the future on this podcast. Lady Vols, where Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us. We've got a couple of forums that run 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's why we call ourselves 24-7 Sports. You can go to the Summit uh, for coverage of Lady Vols stuff, and you can go to the Checkerboard for discussion on men's sports and off-topic stuff. So as long as it's not political or religious in nature, uh, then then we want to discuss it. And, and we're all on different schedules there. Some of us have kids, some of us don't. So bottom line is one of us is usually up at any point during the day uh, to handle, discuss any problems that you have, or if you just want to talk about some stuff, like a water cooler. We can do that, right? Uh, we love doing that, and that's, that's what we have to do in this era because of the COVID stuff. Uh, so that's what we're there for. Don't be afraid to ask us to do our jobs. Please go rate and review this podcast. Nothing helps us more than that. Uh, please, please, please do that. And all those things I just told you about GoVoss247.com, you can get all that for, for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That's it. Less than one mediocre average lunch per month, especially when you put in delivery costs, all that stuff that we have to do nowadays. Guys, it's a great deal. And if you pay us full price, you get access in perpetuity. As long as you're a full paying member with us, you get access to Paramount Plus, which used to be CBS All Access. Now it's Paramount Plus. That's every show CBS has ever made commercial free. Lots of Paramount stuff in there, commercial free. Uh, movies, tons of movies, you know, all, all there, commercial free, new ones in and out every month. You get exclusive shows that are only on Paramount Plus, some really, really good stuff there, Picard and some others, really, really good stuff there, some new shows that have come out too. Um, plus, you get live sports, Tennessee football, Tennessee basketball, March Madness, NCAA tournament, uh, NFL football, UEFA Champions League, UEFA Europa League, PGA Tour, all that stuff. It's such a great deal. Nobody else can do that, and we can do that. And we give you that for nothing. That's $100 plus annual value that we put in your pocket for nothing every year. That's why I'm clapping my hands because it's that great of a deal. Guys, you should hear from us uh, by Thursday at the latest. That's when spring football practice is about to start. So we'll shift over to talk about some football stuff then. Got baseball stuff we're going to discuss too. So until then, wash your freaking hands, wear your freaking masks, sign up for your freaking vaccine, and get your freaking vaccine. I'm about to get my second one here in a week or so, and I feel great. I feel fine. Let's go do this, guys. We are so close. Look at the numbers. If we keep going at this rate, guys, we can have we can be back to somewhat normal pretty soon. 
Let's go. We're in this together. Come on. Help us out. Don't be one of those guys. Let's do this. PSA over. See y'all soon. Be good. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.